three years ago, I was, uh, well, I was, Jen and I were um, kind of content with having just the two daughters we had and kind of called it quits at that point. But then she ended up have, getting pregnant, which we were kind of dumbfounded by, except not dumbfounded, I guess we knew how it happened, right? But um, <laughs> we were confused by the fact, like, we didn't feel like this is what God was, was asking us to do, but we were excited about it. Well, then we ended up um, experiencing a miscarriage in that, and so then that posed the question to us was, well, are we done? Should we, should we consider having more? Should we not? Like, what, is, what does that mean? And so we, we both felt like this was kind of God telling us, like, we weren't done, so we thought we should, she, we should go. And so we started trying and, and continued to try, and then she got pregnant again, and we were super excited, and then um, another miscarriage. And I remember at that point it setting in um, to me a little bit where I, I, I don't know if it was what was going on around here, if there's just a lot of water, but everyone and their dog was getting pregnant around us. I mean, it was like... <laughs> It was out of control. And I remember it hit after the second miscarriage. I, I remember thinking, like, uh, we have a good support. God cared for us, and this is awesome. But I, I remember thinking this, this, this kind of like, why, why us? You know, like, why, why, does, this, why does this happen to us? And, and, and then I remember any time someone, a friend, or a, see it on Facebook, someone would be pregnant, and it's like everything in me wanted to go, yes, all right. But I, I started feeling like, well, wh- why them? Why, why can't we get pregnant? Why, why did, why, God, why are they getting pregnant? Almost, and I didn't ever think this, I don't think, but maybe I did, but like the, we deserve what we want. Like we, we feel God's called us to this. We, we have been faithful to serve you. Look at, look at what we're doing. Look at how good we are. Look at what we do for you. Can't you just give us this? And I remember at times seeing, I mean, good friends of mine. Some of you are like, man, was it me? I, it, yes, we'll just say it that, no. People where they got pregnant, and I, I couldn't actually be excited for them. I actually, in, inside of me, I was like, man, I, I mean, I'm glad, and it's such a beautiful thing, and child, childbirth, and it's just, it's, it's awesome. The whole thing's a miracle of God, and it's amazing. But I remember going, but why, why not us? Like, why can't, why can't we do it? And I, I actually had this, this, this ugly kind of battle inside where it was like God was having to work on my heart to celebrate the victories in other people's lives and understanding that he's still victorious in our life even though I don't see him in this one instance being victorious. And so I, I wrestled with that a lot. And, and, and I mean, you know, spoiler alert, we, spoiler alert, we got pregnant and we have little Priscilla and it's awesome and God is amazing and his timing was perfect. But it's interesting to me, if you think about that scenario in itself, I think all of us have this, it's not fair mentality, right? Like, it just doesn't seem fair. And it's usually, it's usually saturated in the fact and the belief of, of here's all the things that I've done to deserve what I want right now. Look at, look at this list. I've done these things right here. And I look, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome at this stuff. And therefore, since I'm awesome, I should get this. Our society teaches us that you just, you, you work hard, you get something, you get what you want when you work, push at it. And I think the problem is, is that we start viewing, if we're not careful, we view God in the same, the same set of process of thinking, the same, the same thought patterns with these same eyes where we start looking at God and we're saying, God, I deserve X or I deserve this or give me that. And what ends up happening is someone around us has something awesome happen. And instead of celebrating the victory in their life, we actually get envious or jealous, or angry. Maybe we would even start treating that person differently. We're in a, we're in a unique parable today. So if you, ha- if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab you one. 
It's it's an interesting section because it's a, it's a parable, and we've we've talked before what a parable is. Is it's 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 Jesus usually using some kind of story or, or a hyperbole or something that isn't true to lay alongside of something that's truth to bring out the clarity in it. So it's a parable's point is to bring you back to a spot of understanding what the truth that was just spoken or is about to be spoken. So Jesus does parables this way. Now, this is a unique parable because it's the only one. It's, it's only here in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not in Mark or Luke where we see the story just prior to this of the rich young ruler. So just prior to this text, and we have to kind of go back a little bit to understand this parable. So we'll do that for just a second. The, right before this is the, is the text where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, in broad daylight, like, what, must, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus kind of pushes into him and finds out the heart of it and, and kind of lays out everything in front of him. Ultimately, it comes down to there's nothing good he can do except for give up absolutely everything. And we know the story, if you know the story, the rich young ruler left saddened because he had great wealth and he couldn't leave that. He couldn't, he couldn't leave that on the table like we talked about last week where he said that God is, is, is asking us to lay everything on the table for his sake, to not withhold anything from him. And so the rich young ruler leaves and Jesus then says it is extremely hard. It is, the word translates, very, very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and says, in fact, it's, it's, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. So it's essentially impossible. And the disciples are, are somewhat like amazed and, and astonished at what he just taught. And they said, well, then who, who can be saved, Jesus? If that's, if that's the idea, that it seems impossible for anyone to be saved. And Jesus answers with the, the text that we use all the time with, with man, it is impossible. With all things are possible with God. And he says, you cannot do what you need to do to be saved, to be right before God. It is only in God's work. And so then Jesus comes out of that text and goes into a parable. But just before that, Peter, and I love him. You got to love Peter for this. Peter has this question. Well, look, we've left everything. He poses like we left our families, we left our livelihood, and we've been following you. And then he poses, what then will we get? And Jesus engages in that and answers and says, look, you've, you've done an amazing job and you'll be a part of what's coming for, my, for, the, for the kingdom of God. You're going to have a role in that. And he says that, but, but, but then he goes on. And, and where he goes on is, is interesting. He says, but for everyone who's left their father or their mother or anything for my or possession, for my sake, they will return a hundredfold. And so the question that Peter asks, asks, it seems like Jesus answers it and kind of moves on. But we pick up in this parable, this last sentence in, in chapter 19, he says, in verse 30, he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And so it seems like, okay, well, that's an interesting thought. Many who are first will be last and last will be first. Now, who is he speaking to? I, I believe he's, he's talking specifically to the disciples. We know that. And I think he's, he's engaging in this question that Peter's asking him. And so he decides to go into a parable with Peter and the guys there. Now, if you think about it, the, Peter's question's valid. I think most of us today would look at Peter, despite the mistakes he made, we'd, if we met him, we'd be like, whoa, Peter, it's so good to see you. Like, tell me about all this crazy, amazing stuff. Like, we'd, we'd value him a lot. He, he did an amazing thing. In fact, the disciples, they did so much amazing work for God. They walked with Jesus. They experienced that. They, they, they healed, and they did so many incredible things. For God. So, so most of us would understand Peter's question, like, okay, well, what are we going to get? And we would hold him to higher regard. And I think that's what Jesus is, is pushing into. He's going to push into that with this parable. And so in verse 20, he picks up and he says, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, a day he sent, a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the exact same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. This is, there's one hour of work left. One hour of work left, and he sends them, he, he sends them to go work. And he comes out at eleven hour, sees them, and says, he says, why do you stand here idle all day? Why are you standing around? Why are you doing nothing? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the, his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So he says, whoever showed up at the 11th hour, let's pay them first and then work our way up to the person that was here all day long. And, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burn, burden of the day. See, they're, they're, they're saying their thing. And the scorching heat, it's been hot, it's been hard. We've worked hard all day. We deserve more than these people that showed up one hour ago. They're making their case to the master. But the master replies to him, says to one of them, Friend, a term that isn't necessarily friend of I know you, but it's a polite way to communicate to someone that you know okay. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Did we not set the wage on the front end? Did we not come to terms? Did you not just do what, you, what I asked you to do and I did what, I, what you asked or expected of me? Did we not agree on this? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed? Is it illegal to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So a couple things to set this up to kind of understand where we're at. First off, the vineyard is, 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 is obviously like the kingdom of heaven. So we know that the vineyard is the kingdom of heaven. The master in this, in this parable is God. We can understand that. And the, the foreman or the manager would be Jesus. And the laborers are those of us that are invited into work in the kingdom of heaven. But a couple things in this, in this parable that are worth noting. First off, a denarius was a good day's wage. Roman guard would have gotten that for a day's wage. So a day's wage is, that, that is essentially, this is your day's wage. This is what you're eating today. Or this is what you get for money to supply for the next day to eat. Now these laborers working and they're sitting in the marketplace, this was a common thing. These people would have been seen as very low on the totem pole of the class because they weren't even, they weren't even in someone's home to be a slave where they could eat a meal all the time because their, their master would have taken care of them. These are people that didn't have a trade. They didn't have some way to make money. They didn't have land. And so they literally went to the market. They went to this spot. They went to somewhere and hoped to be hired to make money for that day so that they could feed their family, so that they could support their thing. So when they show up, they go out there, they're this lower class Citizens, they are these people that have, they're out there wanting to work, needing to work, and so the, the 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 master goes out into the market and retrieves these people and brings them in, and offers the first one a denarius, and he doesn't actually tell us what he offers the the sixth hour and the ninth hour people. We can assume that it's whatever's right, but what's unique is if you think about it, if you're that laborer, 
when you get hired, you're working all day going, I'm feeding, I'm eating tonight. I'm feeding my kids. Like you're working hard because you know like, oh, I did it. One more day, I made it. One more day. My kids aren't crying themselves to sleep. My, I did it. And every single laborer that was hired shortly after, you're assuming what is right is a version, a, a portion of the denarius. It's not the full amount. But then even the 11th hour people, they're thinking like, maybe I'll get some rice out of this. Some green. I can get something to do for my family. Something. I can feed, I can feed my son or I can feed my wife. I can feed my kids with something. And so there's this, this picture of these people needing the work to survive. They're needing, they're needing to be hired. They, they on the left on their own, they have no hope. Without being hired, they don't have any option. And so there they are waiting. And so Jesus puts this, this parable in place talking about the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. And so he lays it out, and what ends up happening is they work their day. Now, this vineyards would have been excruciatingly hard work because the, the grapes would have been ripe at just one specific time, and if they stayed on the vine too long, they would have overturned. And so you had to get them done in a hurry place. It would have been hot. It was before the big rains came. They would have had to have taken care of them at that point. So it was hard work. Now, now picture this. You go and you work all day long. You work all day long and you, you spend all this hard work and you see these people showing up at random times of the day. They start working with you and they jump right in. They're working too. They're not lazy. But most likely, most likely the people that were further along in the day are the people that no one wants to hire. If we're really honest, they were people that, that either their, 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 their standard of living was so gross that no one wanted to mix with them or they had some kind of physical ailment or illness or something in place. And so even when they showed up, they were old or they, they weren't able to move as quickly. Right, so you see you, see you, you, you kind of got picked because you were young and strapping and you looked like you could work hard and you've been working, you've been busting your, your, your back all day long, right? And you're, you're like, you're hurting, you're tired. You're like, I did it, I'm getting this food, we're gonna feed this awesome. And you see these people showing up and you're like, oh, yeah, they came out, okay, that guy barely can you know, lift a hand. Hey guys, that guy's, well, I don't even know what he's doing, but you just keep working and you do your thing. And then the end of the day, now Jesus pays them, the parable shows him paying in reverse order. And scholars love to dive into the theology of why. Why does he do it in reverse order? And I don't like, uh, where I land on this is, is simply because Jesus is making an extremely important point to his disciples in this text. I mean, an extremely important point. Because if you were thinking about it, if you were the, the master, if you were the vineyard owner or the foreman, and you had a desire to be generous to the people that showed up last, the most politically correct and polite thing to do would have been to paid the people that were there first and send them on their way and then be generous. So then they have no idea that it happens. Right? You just, then you do it and you give it to them and they leave like, wow, this is great. Like, if you don't want to rock the boat, don't do it in reverse order. But Jesus goes into this parable with the point of rocking the boat. In fact, he, he pays the first person a denarius, a full day's wage. Now, if you are that person that was there all day long, you're thinking, man, brother's going to get paid good today, right? Because you're seeing these guys only here an hour, and he got a full day's wage. I'm going to get like, by that math, I'm going to get 12 days wages. 12 days, I get it all. This is going to be amazing. And then he comes up and gives to you the exact same that he gives to that other person, and therein lies the problem with our heart. I mean, I know we don't have very many entitled Christians today, right? But this is what he's cutting at right now. Because here comes this 
person that worked hard, that did what was asked of him, and, and maybe even felt like he was really, really working hard because he saw that there was a lot of work. And here's this last person that shows up an hour and gets the same thing I get. That's not fair. That's not right. I've worked harder. I deserve more. How can you pay him the same amount you paid me? And this is, this is the, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I'm sure if I was there, I would be one of those guys grumbling. But you can't, you can't do that. And Jesus does this to make an extreme point and see these disciples. Now, Peter, like I said, he's, he's famous, he's amazing, he's awesome. These disciples are doing this great thing. The Jewish Christians still hold this idea of they were the first ones to come to follow Jesus. At this time, the culture is really struggling with the idea of Gentiles and what does this kingdom mean? And Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God is not ex- extended just to the Jews. It's, it's, it's going to be for all nations. It's going to be for all nations. So Jesus cuts to the heart of it and says, look, the 11th hour people are getting the same wage as the first hour people. They worked one hour, you're getting 12 hours. Now, that's hard, right? Because see, the system of law, it's easy to figure out. You get what you deserve. Most of us believe this. We work, we get what we're paid. In fact, we have laws in place that protect us that we can't not get paid if we're hired for work. Right, but the, 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 the system of grace is foreign to us. Right, because God, God deals with us according to who he is and not according to who we are. You see that? See, God, God doesn't deal with us according to who we are because if he does, we don't deserve anything. This is one of the only ways in which God is extremely fair to everyone but himself, and that's in grace through salvation. See, what he's saying, he's making a point here, is it doesn't matter if you follow Jesus faithfully for years, decades, or if on your deathbed you, you, you fell in love with Jesus and surrendered your life to him. What Jesus is doing is saying, look, it doesn't matter. Now, this rubs all of us the wrong way because we want, we want God to be fair in this. Right, we want, we, we believe we deserve more. We've sacrificed more. We've given more. In fact, we have people, I love them, people in here that are actually offended by the lack of some that do or don't serve. Entitled Christians, we're wrestling with this at the core of everything that we are. You should do more. And yes, there is, there is text, and we saw it in the, in the Sermon on the Mount where there's this idea of reward for, for the faithfulness in following him, and God is going to do that. And I don't know how that lays out or what that looks like, but, but when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to being saved, it's not anything we do or anything we deserve. So then, who is it for you? Who is it for you that you struggle to believe that God can actually extend grace to that person? I, I made a little list of people that, that maybe in your mind you, we, we, we struggle to believe that they deserve grace. Is it people in the LGBTQ community? Rapists, liberals, conservatives, hypocrites, jerks, terrorists, two-seat drivers? I mean, what, who is it? Like, right? Like, who are the people that you struggle to believe that they get or deserve God's grace? What this text tells us, what this parable tells us is ultimately, ultimately that all are welcomed by God's grace whether it's the 11th hour or the first hour. 
What this text tells us is that no matter what you've done, in fact, in spite of what you do, you're welcomed into God's kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. This is, this is hard for us because there's a lot of us that there's some people that have done some really horrible things. I, I bet if we had time and everyone was willing to do it, every single one of us can share a story of someone that has deeply wounded us. I mean deeply wounded us. What if that person was standing next to you in the vineyard receiving the same grace that you received? Would you celebrate that? Or would you go, whoa, 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 God. No, 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 no. Hang on now. Look at what I've done. I deserve to be here in the vineyard. They don't. How dare you, God, do that? Right? None of us would, would really say that, right? But we, we think that. We, we wrestle with that. Right? What about someone that's, I mean, someone that's professed to follow Jesus that sinned, I mean, massively against you, hurt you deeply. I mean, just, just the core of it. And you, you, you kind of, you see their life start to struggle and you find a little bit of satisfaction in the depravity that follows them, right? And then God grabs a hold of them, starts restoring them. And you're like, no, no, God, you can't, you can't forgive that person. How can, you, how can you ever extend grace to that person? What you are doing is you're standing here as an entitled first, first hour worker saying that the kingdom of heaven is for me and not for them. I deserve more than them. A uh, pastor said it this way, it is frightening to realize that our identification with the first workers and hence with the opponents of Jesus reveals how loveless and unmerciful we basically are. We may be more under the law in our thinking and less under grace than we realize. This text tells us a, a couple things we can learn from this. First off is that, and this was one of the big ones for me, is that I don't think, I don't think we should ever give up for praying for someone. Hey, this is totally just an extra thing that you can pull out of this text. But if you think about it, there are people that are going to show up in the 11th hour. And some of us, we've stopped praying for our family members or our spouses or our friends in the 6th hour. We've given up. Like, God, it's just, it's not going to happen, God. I tried, I believed, but I, I have done everything I possibly can when it's not really us that's going out into the market to retrieve these people, right? Who is it? It's, it's Jesus that's doing that. He has graciously invited us to be a part of this, but it's him restoring those things. It's him chasing those people in. And some of you, you've, you've thrown in the towel on a sibling or a, a, an in-law or a friend, and you've just given up praying for them. You've stopped, and you don't believe that the 11th hour thing is possible. And Jesus is telling us right here in this text that the 11th hour can't happen. It can happen. Do you, do you believe that? Some of you, what you need to take from this today is you need to, you need to get back down on your hands and on your face and your knees and say, God, I've, forgive me for not believing that you can do a miracle in this person's life. Show up and start praying for them. Don't give up because the 11th hour people are coming. Some of you, there is actually a people group. They are, they are people in this world that are doing horrible things sinful, wrong things, and you believe that they do not deserve God's grace, praise God that that's not the case because then you wouldn't either. And you would never, ever, ever receive his grace. You get it? We don't deserve it. 
But there's this people group. I don't, I don't know what it is. There's this, there's this individual, this class of, of people, whatever it is, and you say they don't get God's grace. They get his justice. But then you sit and say, but I get God's grace, not his justice. God is a just God, but praise God for his grace for us, right? It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And that's what Jesus is cutting at the core here. He's saying, my grace doesn't make sense. My kingdom is not the way you see it as. Peter, Peter, I I love your question. I love your heart. And yes, you've done a great job. It's a great job. It's awesome. But don't forget, this person over here in the back, you don't even know him. He's never going to be known. He's not going to be in this, in the book. You're never going to, you're never going to read his name again. But he gets my grace the same way you do. This is why it's so asinine and silly for us to idolize Christians. I have joked in the past that there are certain pastors I've asked into my heart because I think they're awesome. I'm I'm a work in progress, right? What this text says is that there's nothing more holy than a pastor or someone who's faithfully changing your baby's diaper right now or someone who's faithfully on their hands and knees praying specifically for someone to come to Christ. There is, like, yes, we are called to do but it's, it's ridiculous for us to idolize specific people. To hold someone at a higher standard when, when God says, look, the last will be first, the first will be last. There's a lot of people that may seem on this earth to be first that, are, that like, aren't even going to be seen next to you in the kingdom of heaven. Like, who are you? Oh, I'm just a guy that was loving Jesus, cleaning up streets. No one ever knew me necessarily. So this text tells us that we we can know that there are going to be many people in the kingdom of heaven that we're going to look at and be like, whoa, not them, really? Like, I think that's another reason why he does the last first. Because you and I are going to be standing next to someone being like, whoa, that dude made it in? No way. That's crazy. And hopefully we're going to be in a spot, sanctified at that point, where we're going to be like, that's awesome, all right. <laughs> Praise you, God, that's a great, we're here. I don't know how that works out, right? But there are going to be a number of people that we believe don't deserve it at all that they've failed one too many times. We've written them off and God is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm still doing something. I'm gonna go find them in the market and they're gonna be standing there beat up, chewed up, spit out, a mess and no one in their, in, in their dog are gonna give this person time of day. But guess what? My grace is for him too. My grace is for her too. My grace is for them too. See, Jesus, is, he's fair in this. He gives it to all of us and none of us deserve it. Another side note that I think you can get out of this text is, first off, is that none of us, if you've professed to follow Jesus, if you, if you you've surrendered your life to the work, person work of Jesus Christ, then you're not meant to be standing idle. I, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, none of these laborers showed up to the vineyard and just watched people and said, hey, doing a good job. Keep up the work over there. Like, every single one of them, whatever capacity that they had, God had commissioned them. He had sent them into the kingdom of heaven and said, now work. And so some of you guys, you're you're sitting idle. You're you're lazy. You believe that that the kingdom of heaven was meant for you to just know that you can go to heaven someday and not live any way differently now. And I would encourage you that you're not meant to be standing idle. He has commissioned you. Go make disciples. Serve. Get to know your neighbors. Be salt and light. Engage in an injustice. Show Christ's love somewhere. You are not meant to just survive on this earth. You are meant to thrive inside of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So you've been commissioned. Now go work. Don't, hear me on this. Don't let it shift 
to where all of a sudden you start working so hard that you believe you deserve more or you, you start finding your value in what you do for Christ instead of who you are in Christ. Value always has to remain. Your identity always has to remain in who you are as a child of the Most High King first. And it's out of that posture, it's out of that position as a co-heir with Christ that we do anything for him. It was created beforehand for us to do for his glory. God doesn't make contracts with us. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like if God showed up today and said, okay, to, to a lot of us, okay, Brian, I want you to come work in my vineyard and I'm going to give you this much. It's not like I can go, well, <clears throat> that's an interesting offer, Jesus. You know, God, I like that offer. It's good. Now, what kind of benefits are there in it for me? You got any, like, what's a lunch break? You know, smoke break? I don't smoke, but, but I'm just vying for it. You never know, right? Like, it's, he's, not, he's not doing some kind of contract with us. It's a covenantal relationship where he says, my promises are good and secure in me and me alone. And I, have, I, am, I am bringing, I'm drawing you into my kingdom for my work, for my glory, for my purposes. And it's, it's, it's upheld by who I am and my promises, not by what you do or what you don't do. So he's invited you into his covenant. He's invited you into his relationships. There is always a danger for us to get upset with God in this. Always a danger. You've seen it. If you've done youth ministry, I feel like youth ministry slowly ruins you for the belief of understanding what salvation is. Because kids are like saved one minute and they're gone the next, and saved one minute and they're gone the next, and saved one minute and they're gone the next. And you're like, man, I just don't, I can't handle this. But here's the best part, guys. Whether it's the third hour, the first hour, the 11th hour, it's 11th hour and 59 minutes, his grace is still sufficient and lavished on every single person. So for some of you, you need to spend more time in prayer. For some of you, you need to actually spend more time in prayer for the person or people group that you don't believe deserve his grace. You need to start over and understand that you don't deserve his grace. You never deserved it. You never earned his grace. It's not a currency that can be traded with. So what would this look like? Jesus is about changing the way that the disciples saw themselves and their value. And I think, I think it, it applies specifically to us today. If your value and worth is on what you do for God, then you will always hold yourself in higher regard of someone that does less than you. And you, you, you stand in a position where you can be in opposition to God. It, the question the master asked him was like, am I not allowed to be gracious to whom I want? Can I be generous to who I want? If there's nothing illegal about this, there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, the, 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 the old covenant law, the old law in Deuteronomy stated that a day's labor had to be paid at the end of the day. So that was the only law in place. And then he's posing the question, is it illegal? Is it wrong for me to give more? Can I, can I give more? And I say, praise God, he can give more. When I think of my family members or friends that don't know Jesus, and I'm like, man, they need his grace. The, the band's going to come up and we're going to, worship some more. But I want to, uh, just before I want to, is there, is there a person that you are supposed to be praying for? Is there someone that has just wronged you in a mighty, mighty way? And you're like, I never want them to receive God's grace because if they receive God's grace, you feel like then you have to forgive them. Well, guess what? You have to forgive them either way. It's commanded of you. 
Is there, a, is there a people group? Is there someone that you're struggling with right now? Like you're, they're so dark and the sin is that they've done in this world, like they, sh- they just do not deserve God's grace. You are sitting in a very dangerous, dangerous spot, friend. You're sitting in a spot of entitlement that says that you are better than. And yeah, praise God for the, the work that you are doing that's led by his spirit right now as a follower of him, but that doesn't mean you're better than someone that shows up a few hours after you or 10 years after you, or a decade, or two decades, or 30 years after you. Let me pray. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. God, I know that in this room, this size, there are people in here that have absolute hatred for people. And God, I just call against that. You call us not to, you call us to be angry, but not to sin in that. You call us not to avenge, uh, to, to get in the way of your vengeance or your justice. God, I pray for their hearts. God, for the person in here that, that is struggling with a, a, maybe it is a people group. It's a race or it's a certain, certain person or a certain political standing or, or maybe it's just in general someone that wrongs someone else. God, I pray that you wreak havoc on their hearts right now and you bring them to a spot where they can't do anything but be on their hands and knees and face below you going, God, please save them. Would you give them a passion and a desire to start praying for those people more than they have ever prayed for anyone else? And for those that have been incredibly wronged in here, been sinned against, been hurt, God, would you show what your grace looks like to the perpetrator in their lives? Would you bring, would you bring your love and your grace to that person? Would, would we be a people that actually can celebrate the redemption of all people for your glory? And God, for those of us that, that have forsaken our family members or friends because we've just lost the belief that you can do anything, forgive us for that. God, forgive us for, for, for not believing in you and what you can do, even if it's the 11th hour. And so I pray for a more faithful heart in me towards my family and friends that don't know you. I pray for a more faithful heart in everyone sitting in this room. I pray that you would give us more strength to pray, more strength to plead for your grace to show up in a mighty way in the lives of our friends and family in a way that only you could get the glory, God. And for those of us that, that continually push against the the belief of whether or not we deserve more than someone else. God, I just pray you wreak havoc on our hearts. Break, break our pride down. Bring us to a spot of humility. Bring us to a spot of that childlike faith where we know that we are so grateful for every little ounce of grace you extend to us. Even though knowing we, you lavish it on us and you are not in any way sparingly with it. We praise you for what you're doing, God. We praise you for your work and we pray that you would continue to move us into a spot where we could celebrate the way your angels celebrate for any person who turns in faith to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.